Well, good morning again and happy Easter. Uh, it is a blessing to have you here. You know, it's funny. Easter means different things to different people, especially nowadays. Have you noticed that? Uh, Easter is, it, it, it depends who you talk to, what Easter means. I'll give you an example. To some, Easter means family gatherings. It means Easter baskets. It means Easter egg hunts, you know. Uh, and, you know, how many of you have got, got a family gathering scheduled today? Yeah, right? And uh, there's going to be, you know, family meals. And there's going to be maybe even an Easter egg hunt for the kids, right? And, uh, and to some, that's, that's entirely what, what Easter's all about. To others, Easter means, you know, beach parties, MTV, spring break, you know. If you ran with the crowd that I ran in high school with, then Easter means to you, you know, trips to the river and uh, trips to jail and uh, bail bondsmen, you know, things like that. Um, You know, to the candy manufacturers, Easter means profit, baby, pure profit. According to the National Confectioners Association, Americans spend over $2.1 billion on candy at Easter time. Some of you are saying I'm in the wrong business, man. Um, What do you think the top three products of the Confectioners Association, the top three candy products of the season? Peeps? Yeah, Peeps. Everybody says Peeps. Actually, Peeps is number two. Jelly beans is number one. Jelly beans, number one. And if you had those star, Starburst jelly beans that we had yesterday, oh my gosh, just ridiculous. I told somebody, those are my kryptonite, man. The, those are good. E- each year, the candy companies produce 16 billion jelly beans. I'll put that in perspective. If they were lined up end to end, they'd circle the globe three times. Every year, that's the number of jelly beans that are consumed. That might be a reason why we have a weight problem in the, in the United States. So the next popular is Peeps. 700 million Peeps produced every year. Uh, Favorite color? Yellow. Yellow Yellow is the favorite color. Uh, You say it's not my favorite color. Well, you know, that is predominantly. Now, the third product. Chocolate bunnies. Somebody nailed it. That is it. Chocolate bunnies, 90 million chocolate bunnies produced annually. Uh, 75% of the people say which part should be eaten first? The ears. That's correct. Reminds me of that cartoon. You know, you've got the two bunnies talking to each other. One has the the tail that's been eaten. And uh, he says, my butt hurts. And the other one says, what? He's got no ears, you know. (laughs) So, you know, depending who you talk to, Easter means different things to different people. But... To Christians the world over, listen, Easter means hope beyond the grave. Easter means, listen, this is the love of God manifested in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And really, that's the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? The gospel in a nutshell is that man has uh, separated himself from God. Why? Well, because we have sinned. We We have disobeyed God. And, and, and sin, it, it's a word that means to miss the mark, God's mark of perfection. And, and all have sinned, the Bible says, uh, and fall short, short of God's glory. And so <clears throat> mankind, has, having sinned, is separated from fellowship with God, separated from a relationship with God, and listen, separated from the hope of eternal life. And so ultimately, that sin, that separation, it brings death. That's bad news. But the good news of the gospel is that God loves you. He loves me. He loves us so much 
that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the, the penalty for our sin, to be, to be inserted as a substitute for you and for me, to die in our place on the cross. And because Jesus gave his life, because he is the perfect sacrifice, because he is both God and man, he's able to pay that penalty, but he's also able to overcome the grave. He's also able to raise again. And that's in fact what the Lord did. He, ra- he rose again on the third day. What we celebrate today. Proving that he is greater than Satan. Proving that he's greater than our sin. Proving that he is greater than death. And proving, and this is what matters to you today. Proving that he can save you. That he can redeem you. That he can take you from the place that you are at today. If you're separated from him. And he is able to raise your life from the dead and to place your feet on a rock and to give you the hope of eternal life. And that's what we celebrate today. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Colossians church, he said, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. That's a, that's a biblical way of saying the rap sheet. Your rap sheet, your, when you stand before the judge and, uh, you know, there you are and the prosecutor says, this is what this knucklehead's charged with. Hey, listen, Jesus, or, uh, Paul is saying that Jesus canceled that, that the prosecutor has nothing left to say. And he says he took these charges against us away and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And there on that cross, the Apostle Paul said that Jesus died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and who rose again. Now, for some people, the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, it's just a little too much to believe. And you know, if that's you, if you're here today, this is our our theme of our message this year is, what if it's true? And, and, and my prayer, my hope, is that many have come really asking and wrestling with that question. What if it is true? Because it's a big tale to swallow that some guy died and rose again from the dead. And if that's where you're at, let me tell you, you're not alone. You're in good company. Because we read about, in, in Matthew's gospel and also in, in uh, Luke's gospel... Chapter 16, if you brought your Bible, we read about the doubts and the disbelief that even the disciples had about believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, chapter 16 of Mark's gospel, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, three women, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. They're anointing Jesus' body. He was hastily buried because it was before the Passover. And when they took him off the the cross, it was late and the Passover was going to start. And the Sabbath day beginning on Saturday and it it was coming and they could not do any sort of work. And so they had hastily put Jesus in the tomb. And so these women now here after the Sabbath on Sunday, very early in the morning, they're coming to anoint Jesus's body to more properly prepare Jesus's body for that entombment uh, to pay him glory and honor and all. And so they, uh, they, they came to anoint him, verse 2, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, that first Easter Sunday morning, they came to the tomb 
when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the, the stone from the door of the tomb for us. The way that the tomb works. And, and I've actually been to the garden tomb in Jerusalem. Just a, a, a marvelous, magnificent sight. And, and it, it was, it's hewn out of, out of rock. And, it, and it's there, it's carved. You have a door entrance and you actually make your way in. And there on the right, you have, the, the, it, was a, it was a carve that, that, was, that was owned by a rich man. Uh, who, who gave this tomb for, for Jesus' entombment. And there's two spots in there for two bodies. And of course, this now given to the Lord and he placed, as you look at it there, just into the tomb, turning to your right. And this spot on the left is where he is. And we're going to read about an angel in the minute that was seated on that spot on the right, standing in that place. I'm telling you, it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. And so this is the tomb they came to. And what they would do is they would close the tomb so that there was a huge rock making it impenetrable. Imp- impenetrable and, and not, you could not get in. And say that three times fast, all right? Impenetrable. And so there you go, three times the charm. So they would close this rock and the rock that they would close it with would weigh two to three tons. And so these women have a problem. They're like, you know, that's a heavy door. Like, who's going who's gonna to move, you know, this door for us so that we can get in and we can anoint uh, his body? And so we continue in verse 3. It's, it's that they're, they're asking them that question. Verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb... They saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. This is an angel. But they were alarmed. But he said to them, verse 6, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was, Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, verse 7, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. And so they went out quickly and they fled from the tomb for they trembled and they were amazed. And they said nothing to anybody for they were afraid. And now when he, he rose, this is Je- speaking of Jesus, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and she told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. She's telling the disciples, in other words. Verse 11, and when they, these disciples, heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Again, if you look in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 24, verse 11, it says there, but their words seemed to them like idle tales. Now, if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, you understand why it it was this way. I mean, imagine, you have seen Jesus just suffer the most brutal, horrific execution that, that the world knew how to deliver. We went through the details of what that looked like at our Good Friday service. We, we use the word excruciating for excruciating pain today. That word comes from crucifixion. Excruciating literally means out of the cross. And so the cross was a torture device divine, designed to kill. And believe me, the Romans knew how to kill. 
And so they watched Jesus suffer the most incredible torture known to mankind. And it culminated with a Roman soldier taking a spear, thrusting it through his side. And it, and it went up through his lung, into his heart, and out rushed blood and water. And so they knew that he was dead. Now, they had hastily taken him down. They had prepared his body. They had laid him in the tomb. And now somebody comes to you. Now, you've just been through all this. And someone says, hey, uh, you remember that Jesus guy? He's alive. You would say yourself, this is an idle tale. You, you are crazy. You've been smoking something, man. What is wrong with you? And this is the way that they felt. And maybe today for you, you have those, those feelings. You think, man, this, is, this, this whole Jesus thing, I, I, I just, I, it's a tough thing for me to swallow. Hey, listen, I ask you the question. What if it's true? What if God really does love you so much that he would send his son to die for you? What if you could be forgiven of your past and have a clean slate and have a fresh start today? You know, what I love about this passage in Mark especially is that there in verse 7, when this angel tells these, these women, go tell his disciples, it makes a special distinction. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. And listen, why did he single out Peter? Because Peter had denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, Jesus had told him, look, everyone's going to deny me. And he goes, eh, no, even if everybody denies you, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never forsake you. And Jesus said to him, Pete, listen, you're going you're gonna to deny me tonight three times before the rooster crows. And certainly he did. And it says in the midst of it that Jesus looked at him. They locked eyes. And Peter wept bitterly and he went away thinking he was a failure. Some of you today, you can identify with Peter. You think in your life, you think about, you know, the things that you've done. And some of us have guilt. Some of us have shame. Some of us have things in our past that, that, we, that we have great regret for. Last week, we were looking at Palm Sunday. And then when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And in the midst of the message, completely out of left field, the Lord just laid on my heart that there was somebody in there. That, that had had an abortion. Somebody in our, in our congregation. That had had an abortion. And this was weighing heavily on her heart. And the Lord spoke to me. And just said listen. You need to tell that person. That in me they can be forgiven. That I, that, that I died for all of their sins. Past, present, future. Listen maybe that applies to some of you here today. Maybe you are carrying the guilt. Of a decision like that. Maybe that thing has weighed on you. Maybe it's one of those things. That you don't even like to let your mind go to. And think about. Because it causes you such anguish. And there's that part of you that thinks. That this right here is something that. Will haunt me the rest of my life. Listen. It is, it is never a good choice to do that. But if you tragically have made that decision. Listen. God can forgive you of that sin. He can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He can take away guilt and shame. And he can take away the, the condemnation of the devil. And this is the way the enemy works. The devil, he works both sides of the fence in our lives. On this side, he's tempting us to sin. And the moment we sin, he jumps over to the other side and he says, Oh, you can't go to God now, you big loser. Look at that. Look what you've done. 
See, it's the enemy who brings condemnation. The Lord doesn't bring condemnation. He brings conviction. He'll convict you of your sin. But listen, in his conviction, he just wants you to turn to him. He just wants you to come to him. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he'll he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what does all mean? All means all. That's all all means, man. He will convict, he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And what I love then is that this angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because Peter thinks he's a blow it. And, the, and, and what the Lord is concerned about is that he gets the memo, that he gets the message. And so he, speaking through this angel, would say to, to these guys, make sure Peter hears it. That I've risen from the dead. And hey, I want to see him. God wants to see you today. God wants you to know that he's risen from the dead. And, and, and this idea of, man, this seems like a, a big tale. This seems like, man, too, too good to be true. Hey, listen, it is true. And you can count on it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most well-documented events in human history. Ian e. Blakelock of Auckland University said, The historical evidence for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is better authenticated than most of the facts of ancient history. Again, Brooks, Brooke Foss Westcott who is a noted Cambridge University scholar. And interestingly, he's an unbeliever. Listen to what he said. He said, taking all of the evidence together, there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Indeed, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the foundation of Christianity. The Apostle Paul said, listen, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, hey, it's worthless. Here's what he told the Corinthians. He said, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then all our preaching is useless and your trust in God is useless. In other words, Paul says, look, if this stuff ain't true, then go party, man. Don't, you don't have to come to church if it's not true. Just go get high and live your life however you want to live it if it ain't true. But listen, it is true. It is absolutely true. The Bible says that Christ has been raised from the dead and that he has become the first of a great harvest of those who will be raised to life. Do you need to be raised to life today? God can raise you from death to life. That's what he does. He's in that business. God can change you. You say, oh no, God can't change me. I've done too much. No, you, you cannot commit a sin that God cannot forgive in Christ Jesus. The only sin that God cannot forgive is the sin of unbelief. If you harden your, life, your heart and turn your life away from God and you choose to go away, God will let you go your way. But listen, if you choose to repent, God stands ready to forgive you of every sin, past, present, and future. Listen, the Bible says it's a fact. And not only that, but the resurrection of Christ is undeniably documented. And you need to hear this. We're asking the question, hey, what if it's true? And I'm proving it is true. It's not just true by the the fact that the Bible says it, which is enough, but just in the skeptic's mind, it's like, okay, well, fine, prove it. The Bible says it, right? Not only that, but the historical evidence proves it. These noted scholars saying it's proven. There's nothing that's better proven than that. How so? Well, it's proven in a number of ways. Number one, that two-ton boulder I talked about that was moved from the door, Do you know that there were 16 Roman guards posted to keep anybody from going in of that tomb? 
They certainly never thought that somebody would be coming out of that tomb, but they were there. They were posted. And a Roman guard, when he had a duty, when he was posted to keep guard, if he failed to fulfill what he was supposed to do, the sentence to him was death. You don't get written up. You don't get a couple of days off. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not you anymore. You're dead. This is how it works. And so there were 12 Roman or 16 armed guards posted outside of the tomb. And all of a sudden, miraculously, two-ton boulder moves uphill out of the way and they don't catch it. That's the first amazing miraculous story. Not only that, the tomb was empty and it was universally attested to be so. What do I mean by that? Well, it was empty and, and you know, what happened was they didn't refute it and say, no, the tomb wasn't empty. No, everybody said, yeah, there's no denying it. The rock is gone and so is Jesus. In fact, they tried to come up with, conco- you know, concoct reasons for why he was gone. And the, the, one of the most popular one was, oh, his disciples came and stole his body. Yeah. They moved a two-ton boulder in front of 16 armed uh, Roman guards and then they hauled away Jesus' body. Completely did not happen. Not only that, but listen, this is documented. Jesus was seen bodily for 40 days following his resurrection by over 500 eyewitnesses. You ever been in a court of law? What is the strongest testimony in a court of law? Eyewitness testimony. If you are, I guarantee you, if you are ever charged with a serious crime and you have 500 eyewitnesses say, uh-uh, I, I, this is what I saw, you will be acquitted in every single court. Jesus was seen bodily by over 500 eyewitnesses. And these are not all people that are in cahoots with Jesus Christ. These are among them people who did not believe who saw Jesus risen from the dead. Not only that, even and this is one of the most compelling evidences of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. His disciples, their lives were dramatically changed, completely transformed. What happened prior to Jesus, you know, when he went to the cross, prior to to his death on the cross, everybody ran. They ran for their lives. They all bailed on him. The only guy that stuck around was John. Everybody else ran. They were afraid. Something changed in them after Jesus was risen from the dead. What happened was that every single disciple suffered a martyr's death willingly. Peter himself was crucified just like Jesus. And he said, no, 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 look, if you're going to crucify me, you crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to be crucified like my Lord was. Peter, the man who denied the Lord Jesus Christ at his cross, after he saw him risen from the dead, he could not deny him. And he willingly gave his life. Something happened. Something changed. They saw the risen Savior. But even over all of that, let me say this, that the greatest evidence for Jesus Christ, the fact that his message is true and the fact that he did rise from the dead was because his life fulfilled over 300 prophecies that were given hundreds of years prior to the events taking place. Prophecies that Jesus would have no control of if he was trying to manipulate things and and coordinate it. He he could not manufacture the fact that that he was was born, you know, in in Bethlehem and in in the the stable and the manger the way that he was. He couldn't couldn't manufacture the fact uh, that, that, you know, he was from Nazareth. He, He couldn't manufacture those things. And yet this is, this, this is just among the hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled. 
Prophecies about his death, about his burial, about his resurrection. Jesus fulfilled them all. By the way, that's a statistical impossibility that those were fulfilled by random chance. Absolutely statistically impossible. The odds are astronomical. They outnumber if all 300 were, were, were fulfilled just by random chance. The number is bigger than the atoms in the universe. That's how big the number is. It's a statistical impossibility. And Jesus fulfilled them all. If you were with us last week, I'll give you an example of just one. We celebrated Palm Sunday. And we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry. Uh, and, and he came in in that triumphal entry on April 6th, 32 A.D., Now, the significance of that date is the psalmist had predicted that Jesus was going to come the way that he did in Psalm 118. But not only that, even more remarkable, Daniel the prophet, 483 years before it happened, he predicted it to the exact date that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem. 483 years. So remarkable that some people have tried to discount the, the, the books, the original uh, manuscripts that we have, have of Daniel to say, oh, you know what? That had to be written after the fact. You know, they, they had the answer and they conveniently wrote it down after the fact. There's a couple of problems with that. One, a huge problem is that Jesus quoted from Daniel. So these, the, the verses that, that, you know, the people are trying to say were written later. Well, Jesus said just by his word that they're real. Another big problem that they have is the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. When they found those, guess what? They lined up and they realized in the dating and all, and they, they, they're like, well, they, they were not written before. These are old manuscripts, 483 years old before April 6, 32 AD for sure. That much older now. Here's the only possible conclusion, guys. Listen, is it true? Yes, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are a proven fact. But why did Jesus have to die in the first place? Hey, the short answer is to save you. The Lord loves you. God the Father loves you. You have to get that. God is not some malevolent God sitting up in heaven. You're the ant and he's got the, you know, the, the magnifying glass and he wants to fry you. A lot of people associate the God in that way. God loves you. He loves you so much. If you were the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus still would have died for you. Jesus did die for you because God loves you. And today you can have a relationship with him. The Bible says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the faith. On the morning of the crucifixion, Jesus was speaking to Pontius Pilate. This is the governor of Jerusalem, uh, the Roman governor of Jerusalem, who ultimately sentenced him to death. And, uh, and so Jesus said to him, I have come into the world that I might bear witness to the truth. And Pontius Pilate, he answered him. He's like, what is truth? And the way that he said that and the language in the original text, what it means is Pilate was asking a much bigger question. He was asking him, what's the truth of life? What does it all mean? What's, what's the big E on the I chart of life? Why, where do I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? He didn't have a clue, and he didn't think anybody could have a clue. Many of you are asking the same question today. What's the point? What, it's all, what is it all about? Where, where do I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Listen, the truth is God loves you. That God loves you so desperately, he desires a relationship with you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. My friends, that's written about you, for you, to you. God loves you. 
The truth is God has gone to great lengths to save you from Satan's sin and death. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what that means. That means a lot of times we live our lives in such a way to where we think, oh, I can't go to God because, you know, I got to do some stuff to get in good with God, you know? Kind of like you get in Dutch with the missus. You're like, oh, I got to bring her some chocolate or something, you know, kind of, you know, grease the skids there. No, God's not like that. This says, while you are still blaspheming God, spitting in his face, as it were, vicariously through those who would have done it 2,000 years ago. While you had done all of those things, God loves you so much that he still went to the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In order for Jesus to say that, by the way, as he hung on the cross, stretched out with his diaphragm stretched out, in order to take a break, a breath to be able to say those words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had to pull against nails that were hitting a vital nerve. You ever hit your elbow and you get that fire that goes up into your hand? That's what Jesus had to endure just to be able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this when they're spitting in his face and sinning against him. And some of you are in the place where you think, man, and I, I, I've, I've done too much and I got to wait till I clean my life up a little bit. And then, hey, then I can go and get right with God. No, the, the Bible says that's not how it works because you'll never clean your life up enough to go to God. And God doesn't care. God says, hey, listen, I'm going to save you just like you are. I don't know about you. I got kids. I got three kids and I've got six grandchildren and I've got number seven and number eight grandchildren on the way. And can I tell you that there's nothing that they can do to separate themselves from my love. I don't care what situation they get themselves into. I love them. I don't care where they are. I don't care what train wreck they've made out of their life. I, will, I would go to, to hell and back to get my kids. I would walk through fire for my kids. So would you. That's how God thinks, thinks about you. Maybe the enemy's lying to you today and he says, look, you can't go to God and you've done too much. No, no, no. God would go through anything. He died for you. He did go to hell for you. Listen, he loves you. And the truth is today you can receive forgiveness for your sins. The Bible says if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess means just to agree with God. How do we agree with God? Well, we just agree with God. Hey, I've sinned. I'm not going to call this, you know, some name for, I'm not going to say, oh, I've got a genetic predisposition to struggle with alcohol. No, I, 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 I drink too much. I, I, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a sinner. Hey, look, I can, I can say that. You go, oh, you're insensitive to my situation. My family has a genetic predisposition to struggle with alcohol. I've got that gene that they talk about. What is it? It's sin. I need to repent of that. I need to turn to the Lord. And the, the Bible says if you confess, call sin what God calls sin. And also confess that Jesus paid the penalty for that sin on the cross. And then you come to the Lord. He'll forgive you. He'll, he'll wash away your life. He will transform your life. If you are addicted, he will set you free. Jesus Christ offers you life today. Will you hear his voice? Will you come to him? The truth is today you can have a do-over. Today. Paul said this, he said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Do you want to do over today? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Listen, I'm going to give you an invitation today at the end of this message to respond. 
to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To be able to stop running and to start over and to be made new. And listen, here's the big E on the I chart. The big E on the I chart of your life is that God has made you in his own image. And because of that, what that means in, um, means a lot of things, but it means that God has given you a sovereign choice, a sovereign will, just like he has a sovereign will. You can choose to accept God or you can choose to reject God. The choice is yours and God gives you that choice because he loves you. He's not going to force you into a relationship with, with him. He's not going to force himself on you, but he's going to put eternity in the hearts of men. He's going to cause you to recognize, hey, there's something bigger. There's something out there. There's something more. He's going to cause you to recognize and have those feelings of guilt and those feelings of shame when you've done things that isolate you from him, that separate you from him. And he's going to put that whisper in your ear and say, I love you. What I'm saying is true. You can come to me. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Not only is this a physical death, this is speaking about spiritual death. And the truth is, sin brings death to every part of our life. Some of you, listen, here's how you know this is true. Here's how you know what I'm saying is true. Because the effects of sin are all around us. It's evident in the guilt and shame and burdens that we carry. Why do you think that addiction to drugs and alcohol is so prevalent in our society? I'll tell you why. Because people want to, want to escape the condemnation that they have, the guilt that they have, the shame that they have. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're looking for escape. And so we have death, we have guilt, we have shame. And the effects of sin are also evident in, you know, not just physical death, but spiritual death, emotional death. Sin brings death to our reputation, to our occupation, to our relationships, to to the peace in our homes. Death to our marriages, death in our families. And again, some of you are experiencing that today. And listen, it can culminate in hopelessness and the lacking of peace. Do you have peace in your life today? I remember an interview with Harrison Ford one time, and he says, you know, you always want what you ain't got. They're like, Harrison Ford, actor, millionaire, movie star, what ain't you got? Peace. That's what he said. I, have, I don't have peace. Do you have peace today? You can. You surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, you have a Father in heaven who loves you, who's gone to great lengths to redeem you. The Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says that there's now one mediator between us and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That word mediator is interesting. It means one who intervenes between two to make or restore peace or friendship. Listen, do you have peace? Do you have friendship with God? Because you can have that this morning. Listen very carefully. Listen, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, what then shall we say to these things? And what do you say to all these things that I've just said? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring against a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who 
also makes intercession for us. Here's what that means. Right now, this very moment, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, the position of the advocate, the position of, if you will, the defense attorney. And the enemy stands before the judge and he says, Hey, listen, Karen, Sue, Joe, Bob, they have sinned against you and they're deserving of death. And Jesus will step up. If you today will say, have mercy on me. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins in my place. I believe that you rose again in the fulfillment of the scriptures. And I surrender my life to you. And if you will pray that today, Jesus stands up and he will say, Father, he's with me. She's with me. And that gavel will come down and the Lord will say, not guilty. Enter into eternal life. My brother, my sister, my son, my daughter. Jesus, right now, this very moment, this scripture tells us, is at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's praying for you by name. Will you hear his voice today? Will you respond to it?